So let's say our blessing. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Kitshanu B'mitzvotav V'tzivanu La'asok B'divrei Torah. Amen. La'asok means to engage, to engage in the words of Torah. Hi, Myrna. Okay, so the parsha is called Vayetze. Jacob went out or left Vayetze. And uh, he's, as you know, he's escaping. He's running away because his brother Esau has threatened to kill him for stealing his blessing. And um, he's running away to the old country. And it's hard to pick out a single part of this narrative to focus on and I, and I'll tell you one reason why. I mean, it's a great story. One of the ways the Torah is constructed is that uh, what goes around comes around constantly. So what Jacob did to his brother is going to get done to him. What he did, what, it, it's painful, painfully true, you know, of how these, generation, these, these generational... Uh, um, uh, family systems get pass on their dysfunction to the next. Uh, but it's also, remember, a spiritual journey, which means that um, time and space and years don't necessarily add up. He works for seven years for Rachel's hand, and then another seven years for... You know, if you can get hung up on that counting. It's kind of like, it's almost compelling, but I would suggest you don't because it doesn't operate that way. I mean, he lifts up his feet and goes here. or he, it's, it's all time and geography and, and travel times and years aren't the most significant part of this. It's the thrust of the narrative, not the details of the chronology. But what I was thinking about as I was reading the Parsha and, and reading some commentaries is something that I remembered from looking in the Torah, which is that in the Torah scroll, the, um, there are um, un, unrelated to chapters and verses, which are a much later way of organizing the text. Centuries and centuries later, chapters and verses are inserted into the text. Part of that in the scroll <clears throat> the way the text is organized is that it has breaks in it, paragraph breaks, and that whoever the scribes were who were organizing it into how it's to be conceptualized as a narrative put these breaks in at different places. Interestingly, this Parsha, there's a break at the end of last week's portion. You'll see it, you can see it in the Torah scroll. All it means is a little blank line. And then this Parsha begins and is one continuous paragraph. The whole thing. There's not a single break in this week's portion from its opening verse, which as you can see on page 195 is chapter 28, verse 10. Do you see that? That will tell you again that the chapters and verses were a later way 
of organizing the text because they don't, sometimes they correspond to the more traditional weekly portion and sometimes they don't. Does that make sense, everybody? Those are two different ways. And this portion ends um, on uh, uh, page 208. which happens to be chapter 32, verse 3. So, as I said, the chapter 28, chapter verse 10, chapter 29, chapter 30, chapter 31, and the first three verses of chapter 32 form a uh, storytelling unit that is older than those chapter uh, uh, breaks. Okay, so that's what I want to point. So, I, so, because the interpretive tradition develops simultaneously with the written scroll tradition, because it was the scribes who were also carrying forward, <coughs> developing the interpretations, um, the, the rabbis and scribes. But we've talked about this. Scribes and rabbis were the same thing in the ancient Second Temple world. Right. The rabbis were the scribes. They were the literate ones. And they were the keepers of the um, lore and the tradition. And so not only did they pass on how to write the scroll and how to, to, how to do that in their scribal schools, but they also passed on the meaning as they understood it of the, the scroll. So the interpretive tradition and the written tradition developed side by side. Yeah. So isn't something lost a little bit in however it came to be that this is broken up differently? In chapters, it, yes. The, the chapters and verses was a Christian innovation oh. that was later adopted by um, uh, Jewish printers as well. Because, just for ease of working with the yes. text? But yes. But you do lose something. You lose something. Yeah. And um, um, at the same time, it's an index. It's a form of um, indexing, right? It, it makes it easier to find things. Yeah? Is there anything unusual about the trope that's chanted for this portion? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. We'll have to listen on Saturday. That's right. That's right. Leah? So the ultra-Orthodox or do they acknowledge the breaks? In yeah. The way it's been done? Yeah. It came from the it's, uh, it's become common practice. <coughs> any, any, any printed text of the Torah that you'll pick up, regardless of who, which, which branch of Judaism denomination, denomination yeah, will have these precise um, delineations. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Julia. Yeah, I also noticed, like I, I once spoke to that land, um, the Jerusalem Bible um, uh, has the Hebrew of um, Proverbs. Usually when you read it in a, in a Bible, it's two lines and two lines. But really, like the whole, like the, I guess, the, what do you call these little... Um, Commentaries? No, well, it, it's written in paragraphs, the Proverbs. And it and it's like tells a story like the whole first paragraph of the first and written in the Torah without breaks is what I'm saying in Proverbs it's not written in two lines. Oh, uh huh. Mm -hmm. So so it's like it, it's a paragraph like the first like twenty thirty lines 
is a paragraph, and it and it has a beginning, middle, and end kind of story. Uh. The reasoning to why it says in the beginning what it says to the end of what it says is all bound together because it's not separated. I understand. It's specifically in Proverbs. I'm talking. Right. So Proverbs is composed of couplets. Right? Every phrase is a, a proverb. <laughs> it's a couplet. <laughs> and just about. In the scribal tradition, for saving space, there's no, there's very little um, blank spaces. And that was partly a tradition of, partly a tradition of parchment and papyrus were very precious. So you compressed your text Prior to that cuneiform on stone ta- on, on clay tablets, it's like it just it's like a run on run on run on and, and the so the scribes in a sense were the interpreters of what was a shorthand compressed document. So with the advent of the printing press and the luxury to do that, some printers decided let's break proverbs up into couplets the way you read them rather than just have them run on. So. You know, supposed so they're not supposed to be written as read from the Torah as paragraphs. They're supposed to be like studied and read from the Torah. I'm saying it's, there's not a supposed to. You have oh. multiple options. Oh, okay. In a situation like that, um, uh, I might. We're going to look at some proverbs today that are cited in the midrash. Okay, so back to this. So in this week's story. Jacob sets out from Beersheba. He comes to a place where he sleeps the night, dreams of a ladder, going up to heaven, wakes up and says, God is in this place and I didn't know it. And God tells him that God will be with him as he journeys. And he ups and goes to the old country. He meets Rachel. He falls in love by the well. He goes back to his uncle Laban, works for Rachel's hand for seven years. Um, remember Laban from last week with Rebecca, uh, Rebecca's brother. Um, Laban sneaks Leah into the tent on the marriage night, and Jacob then, because uh, intercourse is an act of marriage in Judaism, uh, uh, is married to Leah, and now he's been duped, and he works for another seven years for Rachel's hand. And they have have their maidservants, Bilhah and Zilpah, and they have like 13 children, and 20 years go by, and it's just, I'm telling you, it's a big story here. Um, What is the old country? uh, Aram, Naharaim, uh, the place where Abraham came from. Hold on, I didn't finish, just one sec. And um, then Jacob... Jacob decides it's time to leave. Laban tries to trick him out of his wealth. Jacob tricks him back. Uh, they, they run away because he thinks they, they leave when Laban's away. Laban chases them. Rachel takes the house. Jacob, Rachel steals or takes Laban's household idols, the gods. And Laban runs after them and catches up with them. And... Uh, um, Jacob reams him out and says, you know, I, I, I froze at night protecting your flocks. I baked by the day. I never cheated you. I never, I, every lamb that was, that was, uh, every lamb that was, he's really pissed. 
Yeah. Um, guilt, guilt, guilt. Oh, no, you, you could think of it that way. I never thought of it that way. But, uh, um, and Laban says, okay, all right, it's really mine, but I can't do anything about it. But where are my household idols? And he says, Jacob says, I don't know. I didn't steal your idols. Nobody stole your idols. He doesn't know that Rachel stole. And if, any, if anyone's found who stole your idols, they'll be sentenced to death. And Laban goes into snooping around. Rachel sees him coming, puts the idols under her cushion. And when he comes in, he says, Father, excuse me, I'm having my, I'm in the way of women. I can't get up. And he, uh, so Laban leaves, never finding the idol. Of course, the way the Torah works, the fact that Jacob declared that if anyone was in possession of those idols, they were deserving of death, presages the fact that Rachel's going to die in childbirth later. Right? That's the, the Torah, the whole story kind of just works that way. Not, that's just one of countless examples. And they make a pact. They set up a, a, they set up a, 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 a monument and said, this stone is our witness that if we cross the boundary to each other's territory, it's not with the intent of harming each other. Laban goes home, and Jacob comes back to the river that he's going to have to cross in order to, and angels meet him there. And, um, and the, the portion ends. All of that, as I said, is one continuous paragraph in the Torah. So the question to ask, a question to ask, therefore, is, yeah, why? Okay, that is very, very unusual in the Torah. Why would our scribes and sages have determined that this should be an unbroken episode? You're not going to look in a textbook and find the answer, right? You'll find 2,000 years of commentary trying to, like, maybe it's because of this. Maybe I have my own ideas. I've read, you know what I mean? So that's one of the questions I want to ask. But what did you want to say, Jay? Oh, no, no, no. It was just in context of, of what you said, intercourse to find marriage. And I just wanted to just jump on that sentence, if you don't mind. Um, because does that mean that Abraham was married to Hagar? Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's yeah right? but, but no, it's more complicated than that. Um, in the Bible, there is a category of woman known as a concubine who belongs to the wife, in this case, Hagar is, is Sarah's maidservant. And Sarah has the right to have Hagar sleep with her husband on Sarah's behalf. So he's not married to Hagar. Okay. But it's legitimate. It's all legitimate according to ancient Near Eastern law. Right. Right. Um, so, uh, let's... Bef- you can... I, I'm happy to hear your... Your, your responses to that question, or I'll show you the... Be- I, but let me show you one more thing. Look at the beginning on page 195. Yaakov mi Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. He came upon the place. Um, and Yifka is an unusual word because it means to encounter or actually kind of bump into. No, pagash is to meet. Yifka is, is to, is to um, uh, knock into. It's to, it's to, to hit, it's to in, literally physically <laughs> encounter something. 
he comes, he, and he encountered the place, and he slept there, for the sun had set. And he took from the stones the place and placed them around his head, for, uh, and he went to sleep. And he dreamt, and behold, there was a ladder standing on the ground, reaching its head, reaching to the heavens, and angels of God were ascending and descending. That's Jacob's ladder. Now, just that's as far as I'll go right then. Keep your finger on 195 and look at page 208. In the morning, Laban got up early, kissed his sons and his daughters, and blessed them, and then he went home. The Yaakov halach ledarko v'yifkau bo malachei Elohim. Now Jacob went on his way, and angels of God yifkau bo encountered, or same word, an unusual word. So first he encounters the place at the beginning. Here, this is unusual usage. Angels of God encounter him. And Jacob said, when he saw them, this is Machaneh Elohim, the camp of God. And so he named Hamakom, the place, Machanaim, which means Machaneh's camp. So camps, um, camp, camping place. That doesn't matter so much. So the beginning begins with encountering a place and angels. And then the end, encountering angels at a place. So in between that, there's this whole story. Well, but the angels encountered him at the end. Yes, but, it, but in biblical literature, the use of the word yifka'u and angels is to echo that hasn't happened since the beginning. So there's the literary structure here is the, the beginning of this very long paragraph starts with going out and encountering a place and then coming back. And in each case, the word is encounter and angels are involved. That's one thing. It's not a, it's not a one-to-one correlation, but it's a linguistic one. Well, I'm trying to make something out of the fact that in the beginning he bumps into something, and at the end, they bump into him. Oh, that good. I think there's something to that. That's all I was trying And to the rabbis do something with that, too, because exactly. they say, why are the angels going up and down this ladder? And they say, that's because on the edge of the Holy Land, and again, don't get too literal with me here, on this, at the edge of the Holy Land, the, Isra- the angels of the land of Israel have to go are off duty and the new angels that are going to accompany him on his journey uh, uh, come down the ladder but it's this sense that there's a boundary here of holiness of some of some kind of divine presence that that involves leaving for 20 years and then coming back again what's going to happen the very next portion you many of you know he's hmm? He's going to wrestle with the angel and meet his brother Esau after 20 years of running away. So, um, uh, any thoughts before I, I continue thinking out loud? I have one question. Yeah. Thought question. It says that Laban goes back to his local place 
And that doesn't seem like usual language. Oh, yeah, Shavlavan to his place. God. Makom is a name of God. But okay. This is not Jacob's Makom, which is it's Laban's. Which it's is his place. A different place. What, I just wonder about the use of that. That's very good. Makom is an important word here. Makom means place. But when it's referred to as Hamakom, the place, our tradition re- interprets that as a place where the divine exists. Is pre- is, is, is recognized and present. Such, such, which is to say that any place becomes the place when you wake up from your sleepwalking and recognize that God is in this place. And so eventually, Hamakom, the place, becomes another name for God. Yes? I'm asking because when Jacob wakes up from his dream, he says, this is the place of God, Hamakom. That's right. Look at verse 16. And I'm wondering if it's just a little point about differentiating Jacob and Laban and Maybe. the worlds they live in. Sort of. Oh. I mean, it's bookended by Jacob being in God's presence, basically. That's and right. continue that way. But all of those years in between, it's not so clear to me that he's in God's presence. And it's Laban's place, which is a different... Oh, that's right. He's in Laban's place, which is a, not where the divine is dwelling in this sense. Thank you. Thank you. I would say more than that. Uh, I would expand upon that and say that... Um, because here, let's read these few verses, and you'll see what I'm getting to. Look, we're back on 195. So he dreams of the latter... And in verse 13, it says, And lo, the Eternal stood above it and said, I, the Eternal, am God, the God of your father Abraham and God of Isaac. Uh, The land on which you are lying I will give to you and to your descendants. And your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out to the west and the east and the north and the south. Through you and your descendants all the families of the earth shall find blessing, which is an a restatement of what he says to Abraham, God says to Abraham. And then God says, And behold, I am with you. Here I am. I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this soil. And I will not let go of you as long as I have yet to do what I have promised you. That's the promised land. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just one second. Waking from his sleep, Jacob said, Achen, truly, yod is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And he was awestruck, and he said, Ma nora hamakom hazeh, how awesome is this place. Elohim. This is nothing other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. What a great dream! He's—it's a spiritual awakening he's having. Miriam. Well, I was thinking. Here's Laban, who has all these idols. I yes. think that's significant. Yes. That we don't know that until the end, when Rachel has taken them with her. So that the time between here 
And when he comes back, Jacob comes back, he's been in a land where they worship idols. <coughs> That's right. That's right. So in this non-physical, non-geographical journey, he's going from one state of being to another, one set of relationships to God to a different one. Now, God says, I will be with you on your journey. So that's important to remember that, interestingly, God is, God is with Jacob, even in places where Jacob might not be aware of it, of God's accompaniment. Yes? No, I was just thinking when you said that, that it's true. I'm not sure for sure, but I think that in the whole rest of the parsha, with everything that happens, his working for love, his getting married, his seeing Rachel, God is not present at all. And God comes back only at the end. So what is this in-between time? God hears... spiritual basis. God speaks to Jacob in a dream when it's time for Jacob to go home. That's right, when God that, speaks again. But, mm-hmm. but in between that, when he's doing all the regular work that we usually do, 26, 7, or depending if you keep Shabbos or not, that when God's not with us, how aware are we of a time that can go by like this? And it's usually in those stop moments when we're struck by awe that um, in this awakened moment, maybe this whole thing of Jacob was a dream, except he ends up having kids and to watch. But this whole other part could have been one, you know, maybe that was the dream and the waking moments were... Well, let's not think of it as a dream as being not happening, but as a state of... Having his eyes veiled. Something. Something. In darkness. One of the things that the rabbis take note is that as soon as he starts to leave, it says the sun sets. And then the next time we hear about the sun is after he spends the night wrestling with the angel, and it says, and the sun rose and shone upon Jacob, just before he meets Esau. So one theory is that, that even if this is all also physically happening, Jacob is on a, some kind of dark journey, a way to learn what he needs to learn, or accomplish what he needs to accomplish, Grow how he needs to grow, pay the pay the make pay the price for his own misdeeds, so that he can return and have the sun shine on him again. It's a hard twenty years he's going to have here. Uh, yes, it can't be held against him that he was in a place where there were idols if he didn't know that there were idols until we find out and he finds out when Laban comes out. Mm, that's not what's held against him. What's held against him is that he tricked. Esau twice, okay, in order to gain the birthright and the blessing, he first, he doesn't trick Esau the first time. He says, Esau's hungry, and he says, well, I'll give you this pot of lentil stew if you give me your, your you know, birthright. Lentil says, Esau says, what do I care? I'm starving here. But then the second time, in that elaborate ruse at the, uh, uh, with um, his father Isaac, he impersonates Esau, remember Isaac's in the dark. Because of his mother. Right, but um, he's the one who does it. He's the one who does it. And so, but the point here is that 
if he didn't do it, we wouldn't be here. So we are the product of all of our misde ancestors' misdeeds, learning what you think was for the bad turns out to have been necessary so that you could grow to the next point. How would I ever have known this about life if I hadn't made that mistake and then understood its consequences? You know, it's like, um, that's life. Uh, so he, uh, um, so what's going to happen? And we've talked about this. Everything that Jacob has done that needs amends is replayed on him by his, um, by his uh, cousin Laban. So what he did and to his, his children and, and then his children, what he first, so he gets to the well and he falls in love with Rachel. It's an amazing, powerful, beautiful scene. He bursts into tears. Here, let's look at that scene. So, um, he kisses her. Yeah, first he he kisses her. So, look on page one ninety seven. I'll read the whole thing. Uh, verse one ninety verse chapter twenty nine and one ninety six. Jacob then moved on and headed for the land of the people of Kedem. He looked, and lo, a well in the field with three flocks of sheep lying at rest by it, because this was the well from which they watered the flocks, and a good-sized rock lay on the mouth of the well. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone off the well's mouth and water the flocks, and then they would put the stone back in place over the well's mouth. Jacob said to them, My friends, where are you from? We're from Haran, they said. He said to them, do you know Laban, son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. <laughs> is he well? Hashalom lo? And they said to him, to them, he is well, they said. And here comes Rachel, his daughter, coming with the flock. And Jacob said, since the day is still young and not yet the time for rounding up the livestock, why don't you water the flock and then take them out to pasture? But they said, we can't do that until all the flocks are rounded up and the shepherds roll the stone off the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. I think that must be, I always understood that to mean that they put that heavy rock there so that it would take all of them to roll the stone off so that they would be sharing the water equally. That's how I always understood it. Um, it also saves evaporation. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, while he was talking to them, uh, Rachel arrived with her father's sheep. She was a shepherd. Odenu midaberimam. That's just like when Eliezer in last time says, while he was just <coughs> staying this, Rivka appeared. Now Rachel appears. Um, when Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, with his uncle Laban's flock, Jacob went over, rolled the stone off the well's mouth, and watered his uncle Laban's flock. And now Jacob kissed Rachel and began to cry in a loud voice. And Jacob then told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman, that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. Um, and then, upon hearing the news of his sister's son, Jacob, Laban ran to greet him, hugging and kissing him, and brought him into the house. And Jacob told Laban everything that had happened. And Laban said to him, Truly you are my bone and my flesh. And so he stayed with me <coughs> whole month. Um, wait, where does it say where he loved Rachel? 
Oh, I thought that was in this line. It's coming a little later. Uh, yeah, a couple of sentences. Later. Oh, okay. Laban then said to Jacob, Just because you are my kin, should you serve me for nothing? Tell me what you want to be paid. Now Laban had two daughters. The elder was named Leah, and the younger was named Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and of faith. Jacob was in love with Rachel. So he said, I will work for you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban answered, I would rather give her to you than to any other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob labored seven years for Rachel, yet in his love for her they seemed to him but a few days. Jacob then said to Laban, let me have my wife. I have filled my term. Now I want to make love to her. So Laban invited all the people to the place and made a feast. In the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, who made love to her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her maid. In the morning, look, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what have you done to me? Wasn't for Rachel that I agreed to serve you? Why did you deceive me? And Laban replied, this is not done in our region to give the younger before the firstborn. Okay. Well, this is, this is Jacob's, well, we were saying this is karma. Um, uh, he, 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 hmm? he deceived by pretending to be the older when his father couldn't see in the darkness, and now he has married the elder when he couldn't see in the darkness. Bob? Oh, did the, when do the rabbis, or does anybody make anything out of the fact that Rachel and Jacob are first cousins? Never. No. Never. It seems to be a non-interest to the Bible, and must have been common practice that first cousins married. And in Jewish tradition and culture, I have cousins who married. Yeah, me too. Uh, me too. yeah, yeah, no, I don't, I think it drifts away. Um, and if it happens, the fact that they marry cousins doesn't continue as a Jewish custom. Uh, I think anymore, I think the fact that some Jewish cousins married each other is no different than from other uh, um, village cultures. Uh, yeah. yeah. So no, this gets forgotten, this sort of like... Now you can't, no, in fact, are the incest prohibitions included in, no, it's all like, but, yeah. Your mother, you can't marry your mother. <laughs> That's where your sister Obama said her sister. Her sister. Okay. Okay. Um, Laban is this, Laban says, this is not done in our region to give the younger before the firstborn. Work another seven years, <laughs> and that one will be given you exchange for the additional seven years of work that you will do for me. And Jacob did so. He fulfilled this additional term of seven years, whereupon Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife. Wow. And Laban then gave his maid Bilhat to his daughter Rachel to be her maid. Jacob made love with Rachel too. Gum. He loved Rachel for whom, oh, the Hebrew is important here. Verse 30, Vayavo gam el Rachel. So Jacob entered also Rachel and loved also Rachel, for whom he had worked an additional seven years. More, so much more than Leah. Um, 
Now, so, instead of, so Jacob falls in love with Rachel at the well. And so we have a perfect love story unfolding. And then, it not only becomes complicated, it becomes tragic. Uh, because uh, he loves Rachel more than Leah, and Leah is now going to be, um, do everything she can to win Jacob's love, and she starts having babies. And the eternal helped him. Yeah. So the yes. Eternal is oh, that's right. It says, yeah. now seeing that Leah was disfavored, the eternal mm-hmm. opened her womb. Karen? Mm-hmm. So when did the baby start? Like, that's what I was confused about. At 14 years gone, I mean, if mm-hmm. he worked seven years for Leah and seven years for Rachel, wouldn't Leah already have a bunch of babies by the time? But he got Rachel one week after the marriage yes, to Leah. No, that's why it says... And, and he didn't wait seven years to marry her, but he waited... He had to work seven, seven years, years for her, he but he married her a week after he married Leah. It doesn't say that. But it is an interpretation. It's one of the medieval interpretations. What? It is a medieval... Oh, I know it's an interpretation. I'm saying the text doesn't say that. Oh, you're reading the tendentious translation there. The stone... The stone... The stone stone says he gave her after a week. (laughs) That is not what the Hebrew says, Bob. You have to watch that translation. The Hebrew of the stone translation incorporates the... the 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 the, um, the, the common rabbinic understanding that solves the problem in the text. So, but it says um, now, seeing that Leah was disfavored. So so this oath, this promise. It doesn't say shavua this week. That's how the rabbis solve the problem. The heap. Vayiten lo et Rachel. Yes. This promise. I think it's pretty clear. Vayiten lo et Rachel. After he fulfilled the promise? Or no, then. Not then. Oh, he fulfilled. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. It's not that it's wrong, but it's not explicit. What is this stone? What, what, what does he have? Well, there are many translations. This is the Jewish Publication Society translation, which is a modern academic uh, liberal translation. The stone translation is by Orthodox translators, good scholars, but they have a bias, just like these translators have a bias, and their bias is if there's a confusion in the text, which there are many. The rabbis, in general, rabbinic tradition, has, to most of them, a commonly accepted explanation. So they take the commonly accepted rabbinic explanation and incorporate it directly into their English translation. So what lines were you... So, does that make sense, Jay? Uh, well, what, well, what makes sense is which is the credible, credible source. I think the Hebrew is the credible source. Wait a minute. Translations are only... The, we have to, you have to know Hebrew, and then you have to be a critical reader. Because you will find when the text is unclear that different translations will resolve it differently. So you Oh I see. So his stall came after that. No. The Hebrew is the Hebrew. How are you going to translate 
uh, parts of Hebrew that are patently unclear in this ancient transmission to us. So you have a, several options. You can do it according to your say, and you can do them at the same time, simultaneously. You can do a translation according to all the biblical scholarship you've been able to assemble, which means you've studied ancient Hittite, Ugaritic, Akkadian, Assyrian texts that are related to Semitic Hebrew, and you see, well, we don't know what this word means. What does it mean in this Ugaritic finding? Is there an analog? How can we assess what this word means? And that's called an academic scholarly attempt to do a translation. Uh, at the same time, the rabbinic tradition, which predates the knowledge of Assyrian or Ugaritic or Akkadian or archaeology or did their own explanations that would harmonize the text. Because it doesn't make any sense right. that he would work for seven years for Leah, seven years for Rachel, and then they'd start having babies. But that seems to be what the text is saying in its plain meaning, I'm sorry. That seems to be what it's saying. So the rabbis can't abide by that because it doesn't make any sense. So they use the word shavua, which means oath, which happens to have, if you re-vocalize it, shavua, it means a week. And they say, what it means, therefore, since it's impossible that he, worked, that he waited another seven years before starting to have babies, that instead we're going to read this word shavua, oath, as shavua, week, that he promised to work for some more years, and therefore, a week after he married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel to marry, and then they could start having babies at the same time. Th that's, I'm saying, that's how the rabbis solved this problem with the narrative. They, what I'm saying is the stone translation then takes the rabbinic solution, because it's an orthodox, it is, and puts it directly into the English, so that if you don't know what's going on, you think that's what the Hebrew says. But I don't even understand why it was seen as such a problem. There are other people in the Bible, women, who didn't have children for many, many years. Sarah was 90. It happens all the time that couples don't have children for many years and then all of a sudden do. So it doesn't They are trying to solve those problems too. Uh, see, there long enough he's there for 20 years. If he waits 14 years to start having kids, there's no way he's going to have all 12, 13 children, even by the four wives, in the six years oh, before he so goes. that's the reason. Yeah. Okay, I, that's different. Yeah, how can Leah have six children that's different. in that period of time, which is what she has? So, so we might say another story. We might say that Leah had a head start on childbearing. You know, uh, that would be another interpretation. The, the Torah doesn't say that. But for me, because this has so... Again, if you'll... The, this all sounds so much like a folktale. <laughs> right? And I say folktale without any pejorative. Right? It's, in other words, it's not a, a, it's not a literal narrative. It's a folktale uh, where... And then, you know, where there's threes and sevens and where, you know, it's, it, these are literary motifs. I'm more, I don't concern myself so deeply with, with that. In other words, I don't need, I personally don't need to harmonize the text any more than I need to believe that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights 
and then by the 150th day, and then what date was that? If it was a, and there's a lot of people who approach it that way, and I don't, because I don't think it's actually important to the meaning of the tale. Uh, so that's how I operate. Uh, but yeah, so, but it's actually, this is a really worthwhile digression, because it explains exactly how the rabbis work. They don't pull their solution out of thin air. They use the, to- the, the Hebrew. Because remember, they're looking, the rabbis who make up that story, they're not making it out of whole cloth. It's a really plausible explanation because, if you recall, in the Torah scroll, there are no vowels. So the letters for Shavuah, which means oath, and the letters for Shavuah, which means week, you could read it either way. And it was a rabbinic principle of interpretation that words should be read in multiple ways and that the absence of vowels in the Torah text liberates us to count 70 meanings in every verse of Torah. So that's how Torah interpretation works. They're not just saying, well, it was a week. They're seeing the word week there. So my only quibble is that they don't explain that to the uninformed reader. And so you're stuck assuming that's what it means. That's my problem with the stone. Not that they... My problem is not with rabbinic interpretation. Um, uh, I I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't like rabbinic interpretation. My problem is with their lack of explanation, which is what art school does all the time. They say, this is the way it is in English, with no, no footnotes, no explanation, no... Because that's their... They dumb it down for me. I hate it. Um, But I don't hate the technique. I hate the way they present it. Thank you for letting me say that. (laughs) Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. So along with the the story, the the main story of Jacob and what kind of goes around, comes around, there's like a sub-story almost with Sarah and Hagar operating almost like, you know, sister wives mm-hmm. and having been pulled apart and making a big problem. And then that kind of repeats itself also. also. That's right. There are so, you can, you layer the Torah in a way where you can see how previous traumas replay themselves. I mean, why is Isaac doing this? Uh, why is Jacob doing this? What did he learn about his father's story and his father's love for Ishmael. I mean, who knows? So yes, absolutely. So if Leah then feels unloved and is, is visibly and clearly the reject, right? Uh, who has become Jacob's wife, as far as Jacob is concerned, by accident, by deceit. She starts bearing children. And each son, she says, maybe after this son, my husband will love me. Mm-hmm. It's very poignant. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, yes and yes. Um, in the course that I took this summer, um, Power Politics in the Book of Genesis, Yes. Um, they, which are all over the place, and they talk about um, during, during this time, wh- what is the power politics involved? One is love, and it's always a zero sum kind of um, understanding. There has to be a winner and there has to be a loser. So there's the one who is loved more and the one and the negotiation of 
trying to make it okay by letting Leah give birth first. Mm -hmm. um, the, the oldest son getting the actual land or money. So when you look at some of these um, couplets of what's going on, and what is the Torah trying to tell us? What do we learn in Genesis about was the world really created for everyone to be equal? Which is a whole other discussion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Miriam? Two questions. One. <clears throat> was Rebecca, Rebecca being, you know, living in that family, she didn't believe in idols? Or did she? It doesn't say. It doesn't say. But she does speak directly to God. Rebecca right. seems to be in the lineage of Abraham, and coming out of this idol-worshipping family. And that Leah, which is it her first son, whatever son it is, she names him, praise God? No, she names her first son Reuven. Look, a son. Okay. Uh, that's in verse um, 31. Okay. Uh, 32. Leah thus became pregnant and bore a son and named him Reuven, for she said, Ki Adonai Ba'oni, for God saw my plate and gave me a son. Yes, now my husband will love me. Is she talking about the same God that Jacob is talking about God? Like she, she's naming this God. You know, since Rachel steals the household idols, maybe Leah has a different relationship with God than Rachel That's does. What I was oh, I never thought Ooh, this is this could be good. That's how I uh, uh, since it's only Rachel who seems to have a relationship with the household gods, maybe Leah, in it's fact, with the, with, the, with the lineage, and is in fact the one who should be having these kids. I never thought of that. Thank you, Miriam. Uh, at the same well, time... She would have the qualities. That mm -hmm, that's right. At the, at the same time, these unloved children, when Rachel finally gives birth to Joseph, uh, who she names, uh, let's see, why does she name, when Rachel named Joseph? Uh, oh, let's see, it's on 201, verse 22. God now remembered Rachel. God listened to her and opened her womb. And so she became pregnant and bore a son, and she said, God has removed my disgrace. Asaf et Cherpati. She therefore named him Joseph, saying, May Yudhe add on another son for me after this. Yosef means to add on. Losif is to increase. Um, she's also using Elohim in that. She uses Elohim and then she uses Yudhe after that. Hmm. Interesting, huh? So there's a so you know, there's lots to be told about the about the women in the Torah and a story about Leah. You know, when it says that she has weak eyes, that is a um, guess. That's a guess at the translation. Um, because what does what, stone say? Hmm? What does stone say about her? Yeah. So uh, uh, we learn about Leah um, at, on verse 17 on page 197. Ve'ene Leah rakot. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and beautiful of face. Now, what does uh, 
He says, Leah's eyes were tender. That's right. Because rach means tender. So what is this weak eyes stuff? There's some, and it doesn't say but. It, says, it just says v. Leah's eyes were tender. Rach, reshchaf means tender. It's a nice word. Uh, gentle. Um, v, and Rachel is beautiful of form and beautiful. So, All right, one stone. Yeah, Stone got it that time, I think. Because this translation's biggest this translation's this translation's biggest weakness is that it's tone deaf. Right? They did all their scholarship and then they missed the poetry of the Hebrew. And I've said many times, we use this translation because it's the it of in the balance, it's the one that I felt was the best, but you've heard me complain about it countless times because it's tone deaf. It's written by people who aren't appreciating the spiritual dimension of the story. Uh, so now we have to tell different stories about Leah. Her eyes were tender. Mm-hmm. It's so cold. Soft and, and lovely. Soft. But, Rach know, also means could, soft. But you could get from soft to weak. You could, but why? Now I'm questioning this translation. Why? Because they have to figure it. There must be something ugly about her. Because Rachel, oh, she must be the opposite. I don't know what, that's what I'm thinking they're thinking. Weak eyes must be unattractive. That's but what that's I interpret. The, that's exactly the, Hebrew, the yeah. Hebrew suggests that they had different virtues. Yes. Which is sweeter. Yes, and sweeter and, and deeper. Much deeper. Yeah. Did I interrupt you, Anne? No. Okay. In the Middle East, it's dark, dark eyes. Dark eyes. Dark eyes. Well, so, but the word rach means either soft or gentle or tender. So they could be dark. I'm thinking about Rachel. Well, it's Leah's eyes who are um, gentle or soft or tender. All right. Leah. Gail has to say out loud what she said to me. Oh, that. What did I say? One's virtues were more surface and one were deeper. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. Uh, Because, you know, after talking about Rebecca last week, I wanted to continue to think about the women characters and what my assumptions were versus what they, what, where we might actually be able to go with this. And what about Dina? Where does she fit in all of these? Dina is the third, is... Leah has six sons and then a daughter named Dina. Dina. Yeah. And the seventh child, and her name means judgment. It worked seven years. Um, so mm-hmm. we can talk about Dina next week. Because um, that's when she uh, is the, um, uh, uh, the, her story takes place. Um, sorry, was someone about to say something over here? Okay, so. I'm, I'm thinking about Leah and Rachel and a different story to tell because Leah's eyes aren't weak, they're tender. Inner quality. Yes, Gil. I, I don't know if it matters, but I'm always struck, and I don't know, I think by the time the family was put together, the only tribes left were those that descended from Leah. But the ones we descend from. I mean, we did, yes, Yehuda. The fourth child of Leah. So let's read on about Leah. 
and, le- and we should mo- note that Rachel dies in childbirth on the way to Ephrat and is buried there. That's where Rachel's tomb is, outside of uh, Bethlehem. And um, Leah is laid to rest next to Jacob in the cave, next to Isaac and Rebekah and um, Abraham, and Leah. Abraham and Sarah. Very interesting. So listen, this next stretch where she names her children is uh, is just so is painfully. Lay, it's to lay with him for eternity. That's right. That's right. So Jacob's love. Which what love? What's love got to do with it? That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> second that emotion. Yeah. Second that emotion. Second that emotion. Yeah. Second that emotion. Yeah. <coughs> knew that something had to happen to, and that in fact, Laban fulfilled it. Yes, Laban fulfills it. Brother and sister team. Brother and sister team, <laughs> what you think is for the purpose of, I mean, uh, Laban's duplicitous, Jacob is getting um, what he deserves, which is to be tricked the way he was tricked in the dark um and yet it's still part of somehow how things have to unfold <laughs> it's also also interesting never, that jacob never acknowledges it remembers well maybe this has something to do with with me you know i, I he never acknowledges that he had done something duplicitous no, no not in the text it doesn't appear that way until he goes to meet his brother Esau, where we can infer that he has figured something out, because he approaches Esau without guile and directly. But he doesn't see the karma at all. Well, we can infer that the night. No, the text doesn't say, and Jacob figured it out. But we might be able to reasonably infer from his actions when he finally goes to meet his brother Esau and says, "Here, take back the blessing," which is what he says. I have everything I need. Jacob says that next week in an incredible, I have everything I need. Take back the blessing that he has somehow become, completed that journey of feeling like he's always has to chase his brother and get his no matter what, no matter how. Um, So I like to tell that story about Jacob that he does get there. Jay, you want to say something before? Yeah, I, I just want to come at these weak guys from a different angle. Sure. Maybe, maybe I'm way off base here, but it appears that Jacob's priority in women is beauty. He keeps mentioning how beautiful um, Rachel is. And, and it's possible that Leah doesn't see this beauty in Rachel. I mean, Leah wants Jacob. Her eyes are weak because she really doesn't see the beauty in Rachel. And because the next, very next line says, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful. So, so beautiful. maybe she didn't see the beauty in Rachel, and this is why she was very confused of why Jacob didn't love her. Because Jacob's priorities in women were, appears to be focused on beauty. So once again, I'll say, this is how inter- Torah interpretation works. And when you read rabbinic interpretation, you would read two competing interpretation side by side one from rabbi jay says and then another one from what these other interpretations but it says tender so you can pick so hold on so picture a talmudic page where someone says 
Leah didn't appreciate, Rabbi Sohn says, Leah didn't appreciate Rachel's beauty. That's why her eyes were clouded. And the rabbi, another rabbi said, oh no, but rach doesn't mean weak. Rach means tender. Rachel was at a tender heart and Rachel's, uh, Leah had a tender heart and Rachel's beauty was only external. And you have just the kind of discussion right. we're having, which we continue to this day. That's what you read about. So that's beautiful. I should point out, though, that uh, the English choose to say but. Uh, does it say but in there? Leah's eyes were tender. Yeah, that's a key word, Because all we have is the vav, which is a conjunction. But Rachel it means and, and, but it's so commonly used yeah, that it depends on context. 17. I'll call on you in a second. Could I just uh, finish with, with this? Yes, please. Okay. So I think weak and tender almost have the same meaning in this case. Because a ten, you know, someone who has a tender view of things wouldn't be overpowered by you know, it's more of a tender perception as opposed to a dichotomy of beauty and not beauty. It's, 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 it's more of a, a tender perception not to, you know, you know, maybe she sees the beauty from the inside and not the beauty ah, from the Ah, I hear what you're saying. Yes, thank you. Know, you. So that's a tender kind of uh, mm -hmm. perception. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it also could be considered 29.17, Bob. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Um, thank you, Jay. Julia, and then... Shelly, Julia? Yeah, um, I just want to point out that this, from the beginning, uh, Jacob, um, you, you were talking about him not seeing the beauty of Leah. When he has a dream, he doesn't see Jacob waking from his sleep. He says, truly the eternal is placed in I did not know it. So oh. Jacob is more prone to physical beauty, maybe riches, maybe the earthly things. And Leah is more, oh, I like uh, this. more um, open to uh, God is in this place, and I didn't know it. And then she, and then he forgets she's again. So open, she's fruitful, and she, you know, because she's open to the spirit of God, the spirit of life. She's fruitful. She bears children. Even though he's looking at Rachel, oh, she's sweet, you know. But Leah really is the one. And again, there's another strong woman. Who is directly involved with the communicate direct communication? Leah is not Shem. weak. Let's go. That's so great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So like, like Jacob is more down. You know. I hear you. Weak. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh huh. I totally. I totally agree with you. And I, I love where we're going with this. To, he is able to see that he didn't see here in the first paragraph. How inspired in this place, like truly. The eternal is in this place, and I did not know, so he was able to see. Right, he had an he awakening. Him the, mm -hmm. the vessel of God. But when you study Jacob's story, he's constantly flip-flopping between uh, duplicitous behavior and uh, clarity of uh, purpose. He's, and then, he's, then why would the dream even come to him? Why would the dream come to him? Well, good question. What did you want to say, Shelley? You know, the, the two sisters have such... Polar opposite characters. What do we know? In a way, you know, and whatever you read of of Leah, she really loves Jacob. Like she just yeah. love, she just loves him. You know, she wants to be with him. She wants to bear him sons because she loves him. Rachel, she, you never get a sense that she loves Jacob. 
Right. So, you, you, Aviva Zornberg was talking about that, that Leah wants Jacob. Jacob wants Rachel, and Rachel wants what Leah has. And Rachel, there's and, a whole... And that's what's going on here. Right, and there's a whole rivalry. Rachel, Rachel has a rivalry, has a rivalry with Leah, and Leah only loves Jacob and only wants to give wow. love and be loved. And everybody's unrequited here um, in so many ways. So... Thank you. This is beautiful. We're telling Leah's story in a way I've always yeah. wanted to tell it, and I've never made it to this place before. So then listen to her story, to the paragraph where she has... Oh, sure. Who wants to say something? No, no, no. He's got the Oh, does it say butter and? No. Oh, okay. Leah's eyes were tender while Rachel was beautiful. That's perfect. Yeah. Okay. So that's why I'm glad you brought that. And that idol... When, you know, Even though it bugs me. That, that idol that Rachel had, again, with the love that there's Rachel's this, holding on to these idols. To these idols where, where Leah is just holding on to love, to, to this thing you can't see and can't hold. And that's drawings for Rachel because Rachel's more like Jacob than Leah is. Yes. The two, young, the two younger siblings. The two younger siblings. This, okay. Oh, wow. So, so now listen. Um, so I'm on page 199. We'll hear more about Leah. Now, seeing that Leah was disfavored, the Eternal opened her womb while Rachel was childless. Uh, 199, chap verse 31, okay. chapter 29, verse 31. The womb would have to be opened while Jacob is also having sex with Rachel, because otherwise that wouldn't be a competition. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Seven days, okay. Leah thus became pregnant and bore a son and named him Reuben, for she said, the eternal Ra'ah, Re'u, my plate, and now I have a son, a Ben. See, a son. Yes, now my husband will love me. Ugh. Re'u means like Re'e. It is. Yes, yes. See? Again, she became pregnant and bore a son and said, Ah, this time the eternal Shammah heard that I am despised and has given me this one too. So she named him Shimon, Shammah, Shimon, Simeon. Again, she became pregnant and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, Yilaveh. And so I've borne him three sons, so she named him Levi, meaning attached or accompanying. Oh, oh. Huh? Yeah. Oh, well, Lev with the Vav is, uh, is to accompany. Yes, Lev with the Bet is heart, but it's a nice connection to make. Again, she became pregnant and bore a son and said, This time, O death, at Adonai, I give thanks to the Eternal. And so she named him Yehuda, Judah, which comes from to give thanks to God. Well, Yehuda means Yehuda, <laughs> Judah, Judah, and we've talked about that, means thank God. Oh. Um, which is kind of, or <clears throat> gratitude to God, which is kind of amazing when you call? think that our name as Jews derives from that, yeah, which I've talked about. Yeah, well, J-U-D-A-H is just the English spelling of Yehuda. Gail, did you want to say something? No, I think you're going to get to it. Okay, let's go on a little bit. Then she stopped bearing. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing children to Jacob, 
Rachel came to envy her sister, and she said to Jacob, Havalivanim, let me have children, vimayin, and if not, meta anochi, I'm going to die. Otherwise, I'm, I'm going to die. Jacob grew angry with Rachel and said, Am I in place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? But she said, well, so that's a big interaction. Wow, that's heavy. Give me, it's heavy. Give me children, I'm going to die. Can I do this? I'm not God. Oh, boy. But she said, well, here is my, here's my maid, Bilha. Couple she's with, not connected to God. She's not saying, oh, God, help me, you know. Right. She's not Hannah, praying to God. Hannah prays for God after 10 years of being barren. Yes, what did you want to say, Gil? Just when she finally has a son, she doesn't give thanks. Oh. Leah does, but she doesn't. That's right. So we're telling a different story about Rachel, beloved Rachel, mother Rachel. Oh, I wish Carol Fox Prescott was here tonight. She, she's, she's written these first-person monologues in the voice of each character over the years. It's all through her maid. Yes, because she can't get pregnant. So this is a similar situation to Hagar when she gives her the maidservant, so they will be her children by a uh, proxy. And Bilhah became pregnant and bore a son to Jacob, and Rachel said, uh, God has judged me and also listened to my plea. So she named him Don. Don means judge. Um, again, Bilhah became pregnant and bore a second son. Rachel then said, a mighty rivalry. And I don't know what uh, it... Um, Rachel, Naftule Elohim, Niftalti, I waged with my sister, and I have prevailed. Um, and so she named him Naftali. Oh, oh, that's like um, when J- I, uh, Jacob gets his new name Israel, it's because um, I have wrestled and you have not prevailed. So it's the same sense of like fierce wrestling. But she's so competitive. Well, Let's not get too hard on Rachel here. I know. <laughs> she's naming the boys. She's naming the boys judgment and rivalry. Okay? Whereas the other names are maybe he'll hear me, maybe he'll see me, maybe he'll be with me. I want to give, you know, it's really striking this, this way of telling. Do any of these mates have any say? No. But we, we'll have to tell. And we'll have to tell the maid story next time. Oh, good. Because we don't know it. They do not get to have... No. Nope, nope. The maid servants do not get to have personalities except for Hagar. Hagar is a very significant and alive figure. Bilhah and Zilpah we don't hear so much about. Yeah. All right, so if we did a rollback and all these things that, were, that are coming forth about Rachel and Leah, their internal, their external characteristics... All of these things, the things they call their children. When I think of myself on a spiritual path, and I think of all these characters, are all a part of me. Yeah. And how they play out yeah, in rivalry with each other, in, in in every way that we just talked about. And I think, for me, that this is the beauty of of Torah that um, to be able to see all these characters in myself as I go on some spiritual journey to try to 
be whatever I can be. Mm, thank you. Thank you. And the current, the current, this, the very current piece for me is I want to pay more attention to the uh, women characters in the text, and that's why I wanted to go here. But Bob and then Jay? Well, I'm just curious to, did the rabbis make a deal out of the fact that uh, what we call the children of Jacob and uh, Rachel are not Jewish? Oh, the children of Jacob and Leah are not Jewish. No, no, uh, Rachel. Rachel lets, I thought Rachel, no, I'm getting, no, no. no, Rachel oh. gives Oh, but then Leah, get, Leah gives her maidservant Zilpah, mm -hmm. and she, he has chill, two children to Zilpah also. So, no, Both it's... Leah and Rachel Right, it's not, exactly. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that is consistent with ancient Near Eastern practices. Yeah, so there was nothing un considered unusual about that. I, but the, what did the rabbis in the Middle Ages oh, make just, of that? Oh, oh, they, they... They don't care. They don't care. They're all the wow. children of Israel. Wow. But those are what, those are, when we talk about Don, Naphtali, Zebulun, and um, uh, who's the fourth one that... Uh, Yisachar. They are really kind of peripheral to the narrative, they never have a very strong. It's really the children of Leah, and represented by Judah, and the children of uh, Rachel, represented by Joseph, that become the main protagonists. The tribes, the tribes are yes, all the twelve tribes. But he's saying, uh, I'm saying that the the key players are Judah and Joseph, and the other children especially the children of the concubines, don't have speaking roles in the Torah. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Um, yeah. the, the modern Orthodox in Israel certainly make a big deal out of blood. The 12, no, yeah, but, the 12, but that's okay. never come up. The 12 okay. tribes have become from, iconic from so long ago. All right, gotcha. Yeah. Yes, Jay. Well, I'm thinking of you know of the bigger picture of um, looking at Leah's characteristics and Rachel's characteristics. Why would Jacob go for Rachel as opposed uh, to Leah? So we can I tell a story that, about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean that is an interesting um, myth in a way that that ingrains uh, all males now. Oh. Going for beauty instead of real essence yes. of a woman who loves you and a woman who has wants to bear your children and a woman who who lives for you. Stands behind you. And 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 I'm the, loving this. And the beauty <laughs> could be very destructive. Mm -hmm. I'm loving it. This is this is getting so contemporary. It's yeah. perfect. But then both exist. There are men that love the inner beauty of women. There yes. are other men that love the physical beauty of women. Both exist still to this day from then to now. Right, right. Thank you, Jay. Yeah, but Jacob, why did he choose Rachel? Well, what is it with Jacob? Okay. Like and Jacob is a piece of work. All through his story. He is a piece of work. He's our father Jacob. The, you know, the one we talk about who tricked the guard at so-and-so in order to get out and then managed to sneak his way there. And we're here today because of our tricky, complicated patriarch Jacob. You know, he, he, had, a, 
he um, ran uh, illegal uh, bootleg liquor across uh, the lake from Canada and made us our fortune. You know, it's like, he's that kind of character. Good old bad boy. He's that kind of guy. I mean, He's like a Trump going for the beautiful women in a way. Uh, no, he's got a lot more substance. No, no. It, I don't think... Yeah, I don't think Trump would make it into the Torah. He's too, he's too one-dimensional. He's too one-dimensional. Um, no, Jacob has a lot of beautiful qualities. His story would, his story would repel us if there wasn't something so appealing about him. God's very interested in Jacob. So we're almost out of time. So let me just share one more thing. That was beautiful, Jay. Um, so, uh, so they keep having babies. And then in verse 14... In the time of the wheat harvest, Reuben went out, that's Leah's firstborn, and found mandrakes in the field. Now, if you look at the um, footnote, mandrakes are a plant whose potato-like bulbs sometimes look like faces. And the ancient belief in the mandrake as a sexual stimulant has persisted into modern times. What's the Hebrew word for mandate? Mandrake? Dudaim. That comes from dodi. That's, it's love. It's the love plant. And David, King David, his name, his name comes from the same root. Dudaim, uh, it's like the aphrodisiac plant. Its Hebrew name is, is great, isn't it? Dudaim. There's something I was thinking the whole, the whole class, and I never said it, and it's yeah. coming up now, that, um, you know, they had uh, herbs and stuff. I think um, the fact that Leah didn't have kids for seven years could have been a birth control um, herb uh, or substance that they used back then, because birth control can't be just from today. Right. Probably, I mean, I know if you take a lot But of why birth, was she taking this herb if she wanted a baby so bad? Was somebody, I don't know, maybe. But I'm saying that, you know, could you know, maybe... Yeah, but that's okay. That's okay. So let me just read a little more because we're going to run out of time. When he brought them to his, the Dudaim to his mother Leah, Rachel said to Leah, Pray, give me some of your son's mandrakes. And Leah replied, Isn't it enough that you took my husband and now you want to take my son's mandrakes? Oh my gosh. And Rachel said, Very well. Let Jacob sleep with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrake. So it appears that Leah's not even invited into the tent anymore. When Jacob came in from the field that evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, I am the one you will bet tonight, for I have bought you with my son's mandrakes. And that night he slept with her, and God now listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore a fifth son to Jacob. And Leah said, God has given me my reward, that's what it is, for giving my maid to my husband and named him Issachar. And then Leah became pre Oh, Leah names, back in verse 11 and 13, when Zilpah, Leah's handmaiden, has two children, she names one Fortune and the other Happy. So Leah's kids' names are way different from the names yeah. Rachel gives. So Leah then said, God has given me a fine gift, Zeved, and so I'm going to name him Zevulun. Now my husband will finally give me the wedding gift due me, for I have borne him six sons. She therefore named him Zulun, and afterwards she bore a daughter and named her Dina. God now remembered Rachel. God listened to her and opened her womb. Right, but Dina now is a, is 
Dina means yes. judgment. So that's yeah. the one name that's more like witchless. That's right. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And Dina has harsh, Dina has a harsh future. Yeah. Um, but also, she does and she doesn't. She loves Shlem. She yeah, she's she happy, you know. But, okay, so uh, the I just wanted to sit, that that's that's about all we hear. We hear more about Leah and Rachel later, um, but uh, for now that's that's the focus on Leah, and unfortunately we have to stop. Um, Could I ask you a little question? Okay, <laughs> well, we have a meeting in three minutes, so. Oh. But go ahead. Um, I don't understand why the um, I don't know, and maybe it's my end. Uh, why the Leah's sons were the the the, uh, the names of the tribes of Israel? Because the and tribes of Israel are known as the children of Israel, and, and Israel is Jacob. Jacob. Jacob gets a new name when he wrestles with the angel next week. His name is Israel. And so the 12 tribes are the children of Israel. Sons. So by the, yes, B'nai, the sons of Israel. So Jacob has 12 sons by four different women. And they are all, they become the tribes. That's right. That's right. They are descendants. So what I wanted to say to close. Why couldn't Dina have a tribe? Well, 12 so we'll talk. Let's talk about it next time because twelve is another mythic oh. number. It's the zodiac, mm-hmm. you know. It's the. And, and, so there were twelve communities. But let's let's save it, save it because I must stop. But I just you have to, you have to. I have to stop. You can keep. You all are so welcome to sit here and keep talking. But what I want to say to close is um, that. We'll see in the story as it continues next week that Jacob's lack of awareness about how he treats his family is going to extend into how his sons treat each other. And so it's just (coughs) going to continue. Um, And the unloved sons, they're a bunch. The loved son, Yosef, he's a piece of work. Right, as being the because of the way he's spoiled, and so it's going to continue. But meanwhile, I just thank you so much. My mind is just bouncing along with uh, with Leia as the new hero. Um, So thank you. So when did he get it?